When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, White Sox fans. Guess what? It is Southside Sox Mothership Podcast number 60. And look at these two guys I'm with. It's the Allens. They allowed me to storm the Sharing Sox podcast and turn it into, just absorb it and turn it into a Southside Sox podcast. That's very generous. It's been since podcast number 23 back in February since we did this mashup between Southside Sox and Sharing Sox. And we are here to Which is five S's. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's the S podcast here with the <laughs> Allens. Uh, two of our most uh, entertaining, most humorous writers you may remember, Will from White Sox Players as Soda Pops, uh, which was probably one of my favorites. Uh, Lee Allen, every one of his recaps, whether it's an ugly result or a celebratory one, finds a way to be funny, right or not, outright funny or not. So I, hopefully this is going to prove to be a funny podcast because we got funny guys on this thing. Although we're celebrating something very serious, extremely serious, a game out in the corn, but what a terrific, terrific uh, finish. The three of us represent, well, clearly one very specific demographic, but in terms of age, three relatively different generations of fans. Uh, so first of all, let's just go around. Let's talk about what the impression of the game, the spectacle, the idea of it in the first place, but just the spectacle as we saw it last night. Well, not I'll, I'll take uh, old man's rights here to to uh, <laughs> shove my son out of it before him. For I think I think it's only fitting that you go first because you were around during the original. <laughs> I was. In fact, I, I was I was there. I, I knew some of the Black Sox, <laughs> and uh, they really were pretty decent guys. Um, I 
you know, schmaltzy, hokey, a lot of things, but that's what it was supposed to be. Uh, you're talking about a, an almost 40 year old movie of something that happened 60 years before that, that, that was all about nostalgia. Yeah. And this was nostalgic as hell, uh, but they pulled it off. Uh, so often MLB is suicidal and they finally did something to save themselves a little. Got great ratings, incidentally, too, a 5.2, which uh, destroyed wow. Thursday night. Um, I thought, first of all, the field was gorgeous. It was just beautiful. And, and Fox did a great job with the aerials, showing the maze and, and encompassing everything in there. And they played the schmaltz very well. And, and the Kevin Costner uh, attitude and inserting the little bits with James Earl Jones and, and so forth doing. I, th- I thought they did a really good job on that. Uh, the game itself, obviously, we love because of how it turned out in the end and not how it almost turned out. And I'd like to maybe get into that because we had a, there was a long discussion on our site on, on one of the game threads this week about one-run games. Mark Liptek got it started talking about how bad the Sox are at one-run games. They're now a little better, the 12 and 18. Some other good teams are bad, too, the Dodgers specifically. Uh, but by, you know, by and large, one-run games, they're, they're kind of manager time. And not always. I mean, sometimes you're down 8 nothing and you made it back to 8-7 because of brilliant management. It's not because the guy did something wrong. And I can remember a game <laughs> when Will was still playing and I was coaching where we had like a eight to one lead and blew it and lost nine eight because of very bad management on my part. But uh, uh, I thought last night was an example of management time in a one run game. Wonderful as it was from our point of view, I thought Aaron Boone lost the game. And uh, Zach Britton has in the past been a very fine reliever. That was in the past. He's had a horrible year. He's walked almost a man in inning, uh, put walks and hit by uh, pitchers together, and it's right there. Uh, His ERA was over six. I mean, he's just been terrible. I looked it up. They'd done a bullpen game the day before, so he didn't have, for example, Chad Green, who uh, with with what I mean, his actual closer is gone. Chapman is hurt. Uh, Chad Green seemed like the logical one, but he pitched two innings the day before. Okay. He still had other pitchers. And I, I just thought he totally blew it by doing what he did. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say here. I uh, before we get too much into the details, I, I just thought they nailed it. I mean, it was, it was as hokey as can be, and I ate up every second of it. The field was beautiful. Uh, I saw a tweet. Someone was interviewing the players through the week, and they were all like, yeah, it'll be fun. We'll go to Iowa. And then when they got there, they were just blown away. And I got to say, I was blown away as well. It was so stunning to see. It felt magical. I realized they're not actually playing on the Field of Dreams, but to build that additional field right next to it was, was so incredible. And it could not, I mean, Major League Baseball at the end of that game last night must have just thought, holy crap, thank you, Tim Anderson. You just you just gave us the most exciting regular season game in ages. Uh, I knew he was going to walk it off. As soon as Hendricks gave that up, I was like, and they brought in the left-handed pitcher, my first thought was, I, I wasn't even worried. I was like, there's no way Tim Anderson 
keeps the ball in the ballpark in this scenario. It's too magical. It's too fun. I loved it. We needed your- I was a step behind you because uh, Will's mom, my wife, was, was actually watching the game last night because of the field of dreams perspective and everything. And I thought, oh, boy. And then they brought in Britt, and I said, well, this guy's really crappy. But for some reason, talk about mismanagement, Danny Mendick came in to pinch hit. Uh, couldn't believe that. But when Britton, who walked Sebi Zavala without really a challenge, I mean, he walked him on four really bad pitches. I turned to my wife and I said, we win this game, this inning. Because as soon as he'd done that, he's got nothing left to do but throw one right down the pipe so that he can get a strike somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's it. I didn't know it'd be a walk-off, but I knew we were going to win. Yeah, he had a look in his eyes. Will, I'm glad uh, to, to to rewind a bit here. I'm glad uh, you clarified because I thought at first you were conceding to your father to go first because you didn't think he was going to make it through the podcast. So I'm glad it's just simply because he was actually <laughs> back there uh, knowing those guys. So that's a that's a that's yeah. a nicer way to put it. Yeah. Uh, shoot, I think he went to second grade with shoeless Joe. <laughs> he didn't wear shoes then either. It was pretty wild. Um, the thing I liked about it was less because obviously they're they're. I think the cat's already out of the bag that they're they're doing a game. I think even David Ross had said the Cubs are involved next year, but I mean, it seems very clear. Uh, Manfred is already committed to a 2022 game, providing there's a season. Uh, but it, assuming this becomes something akin to a lot of comparisons uh, yesterday of the, uh, the winter classic that the NHL does um, that moves around, but I could see different teams playing here. So at some point, the field of dreams thing is going to burn off. I would argue as soon as next year's game, it ought to burn off. Uh, to a large degree. What I liked about it, and as a guy who uh, went to school in Texas, who went to see tons of games at Arlington Stadium, I liked just the small feel, the intimacy, the idea that you could you could hear everything. Oh, yeah. It was a throwback to last year where there weren't fans, but there were fans here, but you could still hear everything so crisp. It was so intimate. It really was there like they were playing, and essentially they were playing in a minor league stadium. And I know that's a goofy appeal, but it's different. It, it zags instead of zigs, and and it, it was enormously attractive to me. In a in a minor league town, and and we lived there for a long time in Dayton, in Dayton, which had the most successful minor league team financially in history. Sold every seat. I don't know. They may still be doing it, but at least for the first decade or so, nine thousand seats, and it was just wonderful. I mean, any place where you went, you were almost shaking hands with the players, and it, you had that feeling. Last night, too. Yeah. I, I personally think it, it, it won't fade away quite so quickly just because uh, the environment is so different. Now, I think it will fade away if next year's game isn't like this year's game. You know, the first year that there's a, a 12 to 1 Field of Dreams game or something is, is when it will start to lose its excitement. You know, this year was just, it was just special. Yeah. I mean, I assume with the NHL will, uh, you know, the first winter classic, there was a bunch of throwback to, you know, uh, they had a bunch of old footage and, you know, they're just doing that less now. It's, it becomes more routine. I don't think it necessarily feels magical. I just don't think you need to have Kevin Costner in the booth for, you know, an inning and a half yeah. and so on right. where they got to tap so much into it because it's going to become its own thing. Uh, let's talk yeah. about what Tim Anderson did. He had a look in his eye. He only had one pitch to have a look in his eye, but he had a look in his eye. Lee, I saw it too. It was like, I'm going to do something. I'm going to really get my money's worth in three cuts. And it was going to be the first pitch because that's what he does. Yep. Let's talk for a second. I mean, obviously just the extraordinary nature of what that guy can do under pressure, but really 
aside from Jose Abreu, who has a connection and, and really is a, he's a leader of this team in part because of sort of the, the Latin leadership he has there. And he can be a mentor to all the players coming up through the system Seniority for the White Sox. Seniority, absolutely. But Tim Anderson is a guy, we heard a little bit of the motor mouth because he was mic'd up for the game too, who just is the heartbeat of this team. And he started slow this year and people were early on saying, all right, well, this is the Tim Anderson we can expect, which by the way, wouldn't be bad. An average, an average major league shortstop. Uh, but his performance has kicked up this year. And in the biggest moments, he seems to be a guy who he's just, he's always there. He's in the middle, whether it's motor mouthing or he's the guy hitting the home run, what this guy means to the team. I don't think we can really measure him more. Oh, huge. I, I think if, if he went out and, and it's happened the past couple of years yeah. where he, he gets injured, not fortunately, not seriously injured, but injured where he's out for a couple of weeks and the team goes crap. And uh, that has happened before. I think it would, happen again now they're so much better than the rest of the division they're going to win the division yeah. if he's out for the rest of the year that he and Abreu and, and Aloy, they could all be out the rest of the year they're going to win the division but uh you know it's like well 2005 when Scotty Pods went out all of a sudden the team couldn't that was their guy who got on base and got it started and stole bases and did all that kind of stuff and he went for much of September went the team he came back and boom went the team right back up again so I think there is, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. The other thing is with Tim, his error last night was number six. And he said, <laughs> exactly. Three, there were years. <laughs> yeah. You know, his cut, now, I did look it up, not very recently, but in the last couple of weeks, his range factor scores are down. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe he's not trying so hard to go for that extra couple of feet on the end of racing somewhere and is more, as we say, playing within himself because he's just not making the errors this year, which is terrific. Yeah, that could be trust yeah. factor of uh, Moncada too. Uh, could be trust factor yeah. of, of knowing what he can do as well. Uh, yeah, extraordinarily uh, uh, better defensive year. That's the one thing we needed to see him step forward and do left in his game. It seems like he's done it, Will. Yeah, I, I mean, Tim Anderson, is he's not just the heartbeat of this team, but he, he yeah. might be the heartbeat of Major League Baseball at this point. Yeah. To, to have a, a, a young, vibrant um, black athlete from the South in the U.S. become the face of the most exciting moment of the regular season in Major League Baseball, it means so much more than just that game. To, to, see, to see a guy like Tim Anderson, you know – going down the baseline, doing his thing, having all those teammates celebrate and running up to the fans at the end. You know, the guy is great. Anybody who has doubts about Tim Anderson is kind of a fool. And he is going to be good. He's going to continue to be good. And he might continue to get better because he loves this game so much. It spills into the souls of everyone else on that team. I actually think if he went out now, the team would still be fine because they would be winning for Tim. So it's it's so inspiring to see that happen. And last night on the biggest stage, I mean, if you're if you're Zach Britton, you should not have thrown that first pitch anywhere near <laughs> the strike zone. You can you can throw him a strike later, but there's a 100% chance he's swinging at that pitch. A 100% chance, and he's you know he's swinging for the fences. Yep. I, you're better I'm off throwing it, it to the backstop and just letting Sebi run yeah. than you are throwing it anywhere near the plate. Yeah. And, man, you knew it. You knew it was over before he even swung. You knew it was going to be the first pitch. 
Oh, opposite field home runs too from all our guys last night. Feels great. There must be there must be some strange error in Iowa because I mean everything carried last night for for both things. I mean they just carried forever. The park's not that small. It's the old Comiskey dimensions, but boy, everything went out of there that went up in the air, other than two or three pop ups. And I also just got to say. Uh, I think all outfields should be replaced with corn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Home run balls landing in corn silently is so beautiful and so, like, poetic in its own way. Instead of seeing a bunch of drunk guys, like, fight over a, a, a ball, you just see it disappear. It's beautiful. Oh, Will. There's, uh, there's there's stats, too, because it's, instead of 422 feet, it's 14 rows. Yeah. But think about the damaged corn, Will. I mean, we had the Ken Resenthal extended story about how they bought plexiglass stands to, like, tie the broken corn stalks because there was a storm. I mean, you yeah. got to think of the farmers, too. Uh, the, the, Tim Anderson, another thing is, you know, you, you, it's a real tribute to um, – confidence the mental side of the game obviously the guys work like hell physically to become a better defender to become a better hitter but this guy believes himself he's believed himself for quite some time now but the thing i like about him is uh he's gonna i don't even know how much he gets in the other team's head but i think it you know he's an irritant but then when he's asked to speak on himself he really doesn't ever have anything to say the post-game interviews with him i mean they're boring but he just he, he stays cool he he doesn't betray who he is on the field, which is a very mouthy, confident, aggressive guy. When it comes to the focus being on him, it's like, yeah, you know, home run, going to have some spaghetti. We're going home now. I'm still, I'm still not going to watch the movie. Still haven't seen the movie. It just, and he's done. You know, it's a really gentle mic drop when on the field and throughout the game in the dugout, he's a madman. And I think if I was on the other team, even if he's not coming after me, I'd be like, man, that guy, when's he going to shut up? I think he would get in my head a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I think the one really really major weakness I don't, I don't think we can just sit here and just praise tim without some realism uh the major major weakness is that commercially does with the lawyer uh which <laughs> um i mean a statue would be better yeah, i think I, 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 will is well will's an actor professional actor professional trainer he trains people i i think he i think he could help tim with that i can get i can get tim Tim, I know you're listening right now because you listen to all the podcasts on this site. And uh, I just want to say, I got you, man. I'll give you the friends and family rate, but I will get those law commercials. Oh, you might win. I think they do awards even for ad acting and commercials. Tim, I'm going to get you one of those. And no, I'm going to get you one. And no need, Tim, to brown bag the spaghetti. I think Will will provide it. We'll provide a nice oh, spaghetti got, for you. We'll provide some pasta. 100%. I've been, yeah. I've been using the whole pandemic to work on my spaghetti sauce. So, Tim, it's time. It would not be a mashup between sharing socks and Southside socks if all it was was positive happiness and sunshine we're going to take a break and come back and talk about some things about the field of dreams game and the white Sox team post break that maybe would draw a little concern despite the 600 game lead in the division so we're going to take a quick break and be right back to chat about some of that stuff i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, White Sox fans, we're back with the mashup between sharing Sox and Southside Sox. Technically, it is Southside Sox podcast number 60, starring Lee Allen, the duty geezer, and Will Allen, the son. Uh, guys, uh, terrific game. Very exciting. I think I don't think anybody could come away, even the most cynical folks uh, with the Field of Dreams attitude and, and whatnot, or cornfields, or why is this a home game for the White Sox, et cetera, could come away thinking, finish or not. Even without that finish, thinking, hey, that was pretty cool. The finish obviously makes it stratospherically awesome. However, there were some things about that game that maybe weren't so great. Uh, And I guess let's talk about the most glaring one, and that is Liam Hendricks, who decided to just continue to chuck, uh, sort of lost himself emotionally, it seems, in that game. Had a bad outing. He's had them this year. Uh, There's a lot of calls now to say, oh, he shouldn't be our closer as if somehow Craig Kimbrell didn't sort of do the same thing like a week earlier. Uh, Is there concern in this uh, or about this bullpen because it just keeps getting more ballyhooed and um, these things do keep coming up? I I think that closer situation is very much a concern. You know, we've got now 13 more games against good teams. Uh, Last night, the Yankees initially handed it to us. We just didn't take it enough. Yeah. <laughs> came up enough runs because, I mean, by, by putting in Andrew Haney, that's like saying we don't really care about yeah. this game. Yeah. Um, and their problem is their top two starters are out and they're saving them for the Boston series that starts on Monday. So we get numbers three and four uh, this weekend. Uh, but uh, you know, that was about number 18, I think, was Haney. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if, if you look it's not just last night. Much fun as he is. And I love Liam Hendricks. He is great fun. He is a great human being. And when he's on, the other team might as well not even send a batter up. Uh, and his strikeout rates are incredible. But the fact is, he has, yes, saved more games than anybody. He's also blowing more saves than anybody. And his save percentage, and in that closer, that's what counts. That's the stat that counts. Much as you may hate the save statistics, that's what counts. He is below average now. And while Kimbrell had a very bad first outing, he's been very solid since. Uh, I think I think if you're the manager for the next uh, 13 games, you just, where you have a save situation, uh, you just kind of alternate them. And, you know, uh, Liam keeps saying, no, it's not a competition. We don't care who's... You know, when you have the job and you have the prospect of losing it and, and you're, if you're a major, a, a superlative major league baseball player, you've got a big ego. You've got to, to survive in that. Uh, I, th- I think it would hurt him, but I think also that's the way it goes. 
Well, first off, I'm going to say if Tim Anderson doesn't hit that ball out of the park, I'm not sure we ever see Liam Hendricks again. He was dead inside in that dugout as that ninth, bottom of the ninth started. I mean, I, I felt for the guy because he, they interviewed him before and he was saying like, oh, I'm no more nervous. It's no anything. And in my head, I'm like, bull crap. Uh, this is very strange. This is not a normal night. It's it's wild. I you know I've I've always I've been on the Liam Hendricks bandwagon for the most part. Um, I I agree though. I think you just switch him out, and I do think there's ego involved in being the closer. However, I'm also not wholly concerned that pitching the eighth inning is is less important for this White Sox team. You know, sometimes it's more. I I mean I think if you're the if you're the best bullpen pitcher you want to face you know one two and three or three four and five or two three and four in the lineup and yeah not not to interrupt will but i mean uh, luke smales uh, another one of our writers he had he had tweeted out during the game liam hendrick should have been in the game in the uh in the six that was a high leverage uh a time that that demanded a guy like uh hendrick so you know that that mix and match can be done but go ahead sorry and that's that's always something we've dealt with is why is the closer who you consider in pretty much every case to be your best reliever, why is the closer always pitching the ninth if you could potentially be facing the seven, eight, and nine? Well, that's silly. You know, you you need to have them in. And fortunately, Kopech came in and had just an incredible inning there uh, to get out of that jam. And as Hendricks said, Kopech's stuff really puts Hendricks and Kimball's stuff to shame when it's on at this point. So th- for me, it's not even, though, do you go with Kimball, do you go with Hendricks? For me, it's, do you, does the does the game look like Hendricks in the seventh, Kimball in the eighth, Kopech in the ninth in the playoffs? Because that... That slider and fastball combo from Kopech is is unlike anything else we're seeing in baseball when it's on. Uh, so I'm not concerned. I know we're supposed to. This is the negative part of our podcast, uh, but I am actually fine with it. Hendricks had a bad day. That is going to fuel him so intensely from here on out. And you know, sometimes you just you go out there. It's weird. You don't have it. I forgive him. This was a charge situation too. I mean, obviously the uh, the home plate umpire. Um, did not have his best game. Lynn struggled. <laughs> uh, Kopech was losing his composure. Again, maybe for good reason. Hendricks oh, yeah. was not himself as well. So th- this game, there was something about this this game. Well, when you felt it, you know, well, even just watching the camera angle uh, that we had, just that backstop alone, which I know this sounds weird, but it was a strange view. Yeah. The colors were different. The size of the wall was different. Where the where the front yeah, row fans are is different. It's it, those things do really matter. I know that Lynn's whole thing was I'm going to look to see where the catcher is and I'm going to throw it to him. And there there's some truth to that. But also, you know, you're looking at something that's very designed in Major League Baseball. Those backstops all around the league. And now you're looking at something that is not similar to any other mm-hmm. park in baseball. Yeah. And I I think that does actually affect your zone, your it's, own zone. It's and not, of course, it's not even Camelback equivalent. You know, it's right, not even, exactly. you know, it, it, it's more minor league even than that. So suddenly Lanson's like, okay, I'm in what I'm doing a rehab. I'm, I'm, you know, back, I mean, in your head, I mean, I know, you know, better, you see the uniform you're wearing, but you know, this is the relationship you have with that catcher. And as much as you want to zone in on them, it's still got to be strange to have like four rows of people behind you behind home plate. Very strange. And when you, when you add in the fact that, 
you know, the home plate umpire's got a zone that no one's ever <laughs> seen before. Uh, that plays in a factor as well. You're talking about a game of inches, and your whole perspective's different, and now all of a sudden you got strikes that come in around right here. You don't know where the hell you're supposed to throw the ball anymore. Uh, so I don't blame any of the pitchers, really, for not having necessarily their best nights uh, last I, night. I think it, a very, very, very worst call of the game, though, did, went our way, which was right at the beginning when Brett Carter <laughs> strike three. I think the ump thought that Judge was up already because Carter had a strike that was at his hat bill. <laughs> To be fair, there's a lot of there's a lot of hat and head there. To be fair, but technically it could be in the zone. But yeah, you're right, you're right. And he was very calm. He only took like three steps toward the umpire before deciding to go and beat you know somebody in the dugout. But uh, yeah, no, you're right. They were they were bad on both sides. Joe Buck was completely confused because he was calling uh, uh, pitches down the middle outside and pitches high outside. So of course he's always sort of confused. But that sort of helped lend the chaos. Another thing I just want to touch on, which is something Hendricks talked about in his game interview that made this game very different from others, is the technology wasn't working. So to have no iPads, to have no K-Zone that they're seeing, I mean, they they probably have some things working, but it really sounded like a lot of the dugout and bullpen technology was just either not working or non-existent. And that that plays a huge factor. In, in when these pitchers are preparing and what's going on and how the hitters prepare. So I, I do think the, that that changed a lot. I loved Hendricks' way he said it was we're playing a more pure game tonight. Uh, and that alone, that sentiment alone, I thought was really like a touch my baseball soul of like these guys are just out there playing the game tonight and we'll see what happens. It was cool. Oh, Will Lee, um, I think StatCast was possibly operative. Tyrone Palmer for his six-pack of the game. He fired up his uh, personal uh, kerosene StatCast. I think he came up with a 1,000-mile-per-hour exit velocity and I think <laughs> a .001 expected batting average. And I think those are legit. I'm going to stand behind those guys. I think he did a, he did a I, fine I don't job. Know. Well, he, he had that right because I don't think there's been a single 1,000-mile-per-hour exit velocity that actually went for a hit. So he's, he's right. Yeah, ironic. Uh, the, the, I guess to, to just finish up on uh, Liam versus Craig, I, I think one thing that is possibly positive out of this is Liam's getting paid uh, in the future. I don't think he needs to get as upset about save situations and saves. He's got his money. There's no salary drive element here. Not that that would necessarily creep into his thinking, but it might, it might have last year. Uh, and I guess another good thing is despite the home runs, He's not walking guys. His, his FIP is, no, is, is, is solid. So technically he's pitching very well. It's just when he's not pitching well, those balls go a really long way. And obviously it's, it's super visible and it's showing up in blown saves, which, you know, if you're going to just look at the surface, people are going to say, well, get him out of there. It's got to be Greg I mean, he, Kimbrell. He had, in addition to the ones that went out of the park, he threw several other hanging sliders last yeah. night. Uh, if Luke Voigt wasn't such a schlub, yeah. he had, I think, probably three pitches that should have gone 500 feet. And yeah, just missed them all because yeah. it's terrible. And if Grandal is catching, he might get out there and say, well, okay, come on. I mean, even 10 pitches in, you might say, let's just, let's zone this in. You could just yeah. see Liam, like every pitch was harder, higher. And, you know, uh, you know, he, he walked a guy or he gave up the home run. He walked like the second base before he came back to the mound. I mean, there was something going on that maybe a Sebi Zavala can't necessarily corral that maybe Yasmani would have been able to as a veteran. I mean, can, can anyone really corral <laughs> that's true. Hendricks when he's on his highest adrenaline? That's true. I mean, that's just, I, 
I, I can't even blame him for last night. If anybody is going to go down with the adrenaline rush of playing that game, it was going to be Liam Hendricks. I thought he was going to come out of his pants uh, as he was throwing some of those pitches. He was just wailing it, you know. So, it so, was not great. Sometimes you got to just let Liam go on walkabout. That's true. Sometimes yep. you just got yep. to let, let him go. Before, yeah. before we depart that, I thought uh, Zachary Hayes did a really, really excellent column the other day on something Will and I have talked about multiple times, which was Dallas Keuchel struggling mightily. He was doing it a third time through the order, but really at about 60 pitches, which tends to be about the same time. So the stats are going to look similar. I think this upcoming stretch uh, ceases pitching uh, Saturday night against a real pitcher and in, in Jonathan Talon. So uh, it should be a good game. Um, C should have at least three trips and, and, and Dylan pitches extremely well against bad teams and extremely badly against good teams. So he, he's got three games coming up against good teams to demonstrate whether he should be in the rotation in the playoffs. And at the same time, Dallas has at least two, maybe three against good teams to demonstrate the same thing. And, and I think this is going to be a proving ground in the next two weeks for who is the number four starter come playoff time. Now, injuries and whatnot completely throw that around in September. And the other thing I, I think is I think what, what Tony, much as I hate to ever praise the Hall of Famer baseball person, mm-hmm. I thought he did a good job when they had the day off of also doing a bullpen day. So everybody got a week mm-hmm. off. Uh, and so that uh, Carlos got uh, got eight days off. Yeah. Didn't turn out to be enough. It was enough for the game, but just for the game. And have you heard anything? Either one of you heard anything? There was supposed to be an update yesterday. Nothing came. The Sox are horrible at communication. Heard it might not nothing. be. It might not be good news uh, then if we're not hearing anything. But and uh, have you heard anything about Angle today? Yeah. Well, I do know that Angle, uh, you know, in classic White Sox fashion, has strained something. I think it's groin. his groin. Um, he did look he looked pretty ridiculous running the yeah. bases yesterday. I was like, since when did Adam Angle start running like he's got a piano on his back? That was wild. But I know whatever quick twitch muscles are not affected because his celebration leaping over the rail after the home run and jumping at home plate would indicate there is no lingering effect of a groin injury. So maybe it was precautionary. And by the end of the game, he's like, I'm good. If I can get back in, I'm good. Because, yeah, he was not acting like someone who was being iced or needed crutches. So I guess that is good news. I guess on the starter uh, note, and it may somewhat invalidate, I think you were alluding to it a little bit, Lee, as you were talking about it, uh, that this whole debate, among uh, uh, the fourth and fifth starters of who would ascend into or stick in a playoff rotation and who wouldn't may be made invalid as I guess we sort of wind up here. And let's talk a little bit about Carlos Rodon and your level of concern with him. Uh, He's been pushed very hard. I know you guys have covered that extensively and in games that aren't no hitters, I'm not really sure why you're pushing a guy who has never, who has averaged 12 starts a season to the degree they have. I'm he concerned that we may not see Rodon the rest of the we, way. We, we've mentioned that many times. The Sox now have 38 because Lance went over hundred last night, 38 games with pitchers, starting pitchers going over hundred pitches. Nobody else is over 31. The league average is less than half that. It's around 16. Uh, really, really question that pitcher use. And eight of those, 38 are Carlos. Why? Why? Other than the no hitter. Sure. Why are you pushing that man over hundred pitches one time after another, after another, when he's pitched like four innings in the last two years, 
And, I, and some of that to Dylan, too. He's not been pushed as hard this year, but he hasn't pitched very much in the last two years either. And the concern, Lee, is he's not a Keiko pitcher. He's not managing the game. He's he's leaving the game with max effort. I mean, he's a max effort pitcher. He's a modern pitcher. He's throwing 100. He's throwing 99 his last pitch because he knows, hey, this is my last batter. This is my last guy. So it's not like he's easing up. He's like, okay, I can go 110 because I'm learning in the seventh inning. I'm going to, you know, I'm doing more breaking stuff or I'm going to put less stress on my arm. I don't think he's doing that. So you can't even count on that. Like, well, Keiko, we can let him pitch 300. Uh, he can throw 300 pitches because he, he's, he's never max effort. Rodon is max effort every pitch. I think um, I I think seeing Rodon hit the IL right now uh, with that soreness is is really exactly what we need him to be doing. We we need him to be resting. We he does not. Our division is so terrible that we actually probably don't need Rodon to start again this season. Uh, so I would love I, I would love to see him do at least one stint on the on the ten day and and maybe work in one or two more starts leading yeah, into the hang playoffs. Out, but, anything you know. Yeah. yeah. So will you're confident that this is like Michael Kopech being out for a month with a ha- with a hamstring injury that this is really more uh, pit stop intended scheduled rest and my alarm that we don't see him again this year is unqualified. Lee, where do you fall on that? Are you a little bit more panicked or a little more optimistic? I I fall in between. I I hope that your alarm is wrong. I I have no knowledge uh, whatsoever. I I hope it's wrong because I think he is critical to the playoffs. Uh, I don't, I will say, I don't think this was planned. I I do think that shoulder soreness is probably very real. Oh, Steve Steve Stone saw it. Yeah. Several times But I think this is a great opportunity to intentionally rest him at this point, and you know, you got to put him on the list to be able to bring someone up to replace him. So, uh, I'm not as worried about it, but if we see him back on the mound next week, I will be concerned. So, Lee, uh, not to say that this thrilling victory and, and the ro- romance of the game, it was just a fun game to watch, didn't make for a very pleasant evening for you and a probably very restful sleep, but I'm going to guess that all of those shots of Miguel Cairo in the dugout just sort of made you happy like Christmas Day. <laughs> and, I, and I wish, I, what I really wish is that Miguel hadn't made a mistake, which, or I hadn't uh, thought that he'd made a mistake, yeah. which I thought when Seve got that walk, I could not understand why Billy Hamilton wasn't on first base. I I did not understand that at all. Now, maybe he was holding reserve, we'll use him later, you know, to go to, I, I still think that was the point where you put him in. You don't know Tim's going to hit a homer. You have a good chance Tim's going to hit a double. And yeah, we'll, we'll do. But the rest of us didn't know that. <laughs> and even, even in the Mendick uh, pitch, sure. You've got the fastest guy in the baseball planet available to you. He was not in the game yet, why he wasn't on first base. But otherwise, yeah, I was really glad to see me. Because he's undefeated as a manager now, and, I, and it probably uh, deserves to get more crack at it. Well, you'll be disappointed to know that no one baseball scholar, John Smoltz, ascribes that win to Tony La Russa. He thinks that managers who are not in the park because of their manager get the credit. For yeah, them. we, we could spend a long time on national broadcasts and the kissing of the posterior Hall of Famer baseball person. It is unbelievable. There, I tried to listen to that YouTube game, which was a disaster broadcast on, on Wednesday, and all they talked about was Tony La Russa and how wonderful it is. They mentioned one player other than when he came up to bat or something, and that that was Tim, which makes sense. Except the only thing they talked about with Tim was the bat flip, and how he really how they they managed to get across generations because of this wonderfulness of Tony Lusa. The national 
that's all they know how to talk about. They'll talk about, wow, second winning is ever. They won't ever mention second losing is mm-hmm. ever. Or the fact that of the top 10 most winning uh, managers, he is seventh in winning percentage. He just he, has longevity. You know, I'll forgive uh, Joe Buck. You know, he's a Cardinals guy. I grew up Cardinals. Okay, fine. I, I'll, I'll forgive that to a degree. But when he's like goading Liam Hendricks during, during you know, precious moments of an in-game interview about like, well, do, you know, don't you think this proves that Tony LaRusso did? Everybody was worried about nothing. I mean, obviously, in addition to putting him on the spot, and Liam had a great answer and fine, whatever. He had a funny answer, actually. But, I mean, geez, just, come oh my God, let it go. What's the agenda here? Well, who, how many people is on Tony LaRusso's payroll? He can't even get paid that much by Jerry Reinsdorf. My God. <laughs> I, uh, I got a text message from a couple other Southside Sox guys that were like, oh, I, act, I like Joe Buck. And I was like, see, that's weird because I can't hear him because he's got a certain part of Tony LaRusso in his mouth right now. If he takes it <laughs> out. I'll be able to hear him, and then I might like it. But I've actually started watching the national broadcast with the exception of last night on silent because I just don't give a crap what they have to say about La Russa anymore. Yeah, see, that's and that's that's the acting coach there. You can tell when somebody's actually got something in their mouth and you can't hear, like, why can't I hear him? It's like, yes, it's because this guy has an actual obstruction. All right, Zoom is going to start to get cranky at me with our uh, discount uh, podcast services. So we will wind this thing up. But again, uh, again, a successful mashup. Uh, let's do it again sooner than six months from now let's all get together and talk again uh but thanks for uh, allowing me to abscond with your sharing socks podcast and turn it into south side socks number 60 wow we're hitting milestones uh how about that uh and hey listen by and large a celebratory victory lap of a podcast it's nice to have one of those here and there uh we will have more sharing socks next week of course more south side socks podcast as well thanks everybody for as always reading sometimes even watching and listening to our podcast and we'll be back with you with more stuff than, Oh, probably even before you're ready. Thanks everybody.